So when I say I claim it in defiance, what I mean is my parents have been in the UK since the 60s. And for me to say I'm not British would be to turn my back on all the blood, sweat and tears and the toil that they have made and contributed to that country. So I claim it in defiance. You know, all those people who say there is no such thing as black and British. Well, here I am and here we are. And we stand here as a legacy to our parents. Welcome back to Deciphered, a series of conversations with African British thinkers and artists who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm Christabel Nsiabwadi. The voice you heard at the top of the show was Sylvia Arthur, the founder of the Library of Africa and the African Diaspora, based in the heart of Accra, Ghana. The library, created in 2017, features thousands of books by writers of African descent. It sounds like a book lover's dream, to be honest. Part of the library's mission is to help address the literacy challenges some communities across the continent face. But as you'll find out in our discussion, Sylvia's approach is decolonized and inclusive. I talked to her in the summer of 2020 about the library and about her inspirations and claiming Britishness and so much more. This conversation still holds up and I'm really excited for you to listen to it. So check it out. Sylvia Arthur, thank you very much for joining us on Deciphered today. You're talking to us from Ghana and I am in Los Angeles in my studio cupboard as I half joke, but it's true. It's where I'm talking to you. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Sylvia, tell us a little bit about LOTAD, what the acronym is and what the library is about. Yeah, so LOTAD stands for the Library of Africa and the African Diaspora. And it evolved from a smaller library that I had before, which I opened in December 2017, which was called Libraria Ghana. And Libraria opened in an office uh, in West Legon in Accra. And it started because, honestly, I've been, always been a reader and I'd had a ton of books that I'd accumulated over the years. And in 2010, I moved from London to Brussels for work. And during that time, it was a new city to me. I didn't know many people. And so I invested emotionally and physically in terms of money in loads and loads of books during that time. I was reading a lot. And it got to the point where I had so many books in my apartment in Brussels and so many books in my apartment in London that I couldn't accommodate them anymore. And so what I would do is ship them to my mum's house in Kumasi in southern Ghana. Every time I would go and visit her there, or visit the house and I would see the books all there. I just thought this is such a waste that they're not being read. And so I had an idea for the library back in 2011, but it didn't actually open until December 2017, as I said, and it wasn't in my plan actually at the time to open it in December 2017. What had happened was I had moved from London to Accra in June 2017. It was after the referendum. In my day job, I work in corporate communications with the European Union. And so after the referendum, obviously things, the Brexit referendum, I should say, um, things were not looking good <laughs> just from any perspective. And I decided to move to Ghana. And when I moved one day in September of 2017, I looked up and I saw this office space and I thought that would be perfect for a library. And that was in September 2017. The next day I signed the lease for it for two years and then 
December we opened. So that's how it happened in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, how I came across you was because of the interwebs, uh, you know, social media. And I came across your profile as in um, Lotad's. But I came across that and I thought, oh, my gosh, she's amazing. And then, of course, cultural bias. I am too a Ghana girl and I too was raised, well, I was born in Scotland, raised in London. Yeah. And I it just seeing you, I just went, oh, she's done it. And what I mean by that is she went back. Yeah. This is amazing. And look at this gorgeous library and look at this place filled with books because I too am a voracious reader. And I just thought this is fantastic. So I got super excited about seeing this. So just going back a little bit about your backstory. So you moved to Brussels for your job, I presume, yes. right? Yes. Now, that being the case, and you also um, moved um, to Ghana in 2017 because of Brexit. Yeah, I mean, Brexit was definitely a defining factor, yes, but it wasn't mm. the only one. So tell, can you, are you happy or comfortable to talk a little bit more about that? It was the defining factor, but not the only one? Um, yeah, you know, I haven't lived and worked in London since 2010. I mean, I have lived there off and on, but um, really for 10 years, I haven't been there substantially. And so... I don't know, I was just kind of thinking, well, London is an expensive city. It's my home city, I love it, definitely consider it home, but it's expensive. And at that time, I wasn't working as much as I uh, was. I've worked from home ever since 2012. So actually this whole corona situation is not new to me in a sense. And I was just looking for somewhere else to go. Like I said, I've been in Brussels, Barcelona. I spent significant time in Canada and the US. And I thought, where next? And it was actually a friend of mine who's half Indian, half German, who I met in Washington State, actually, <laughs> who said to me, you know, have you thought of going to Ghana? Because she spent half her time in India and half her time in Germany. And I just thought, oh, that, okay, that sounds like it could work. It would be significantly cheaper than London. And obviously, I have family ties to Ghana. And um, yeah, that, it just all kind of came together. Now, the LOTAD, the books that are in there are from the African diaspora. So that's Black British, Black European, African American, and Caribbean, yeah. Anyone with African roots, essentially, right? Definitely. So what that says to me, and just kind of having listened to some of your interviews and checked out some of your work as well, you've done a lot of thinking, I think, about the diaspora the various identities. So I wonder if you've done, I'm sure you have, a lot of thinking about what it means to be black and British, being born and raised and being that. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely claim the identity black British. You know, if you were to ask me, uh, who are you, where are you from, whatever, I would always say that I'm black British. And obviously, you know, I claim that partly out of a sense of defiance. And I claim Mm. it partly because it's true. And You know, I was born in Britain, raised in Britain. I didn't really come to Ghana until I was 21 or two, I think. And it's just undeniable that there is a British side of me. Now that said, obviously the black precedes the British in the term black British, and that's for a reason. You know, um, I'm, I'm black, I'm Ghanaian, I'm African. But to me, the reason why I like the term black is because it encompasses every kind of black, you know. And I use it to claim solidarity with other black people, people of African descent, who are in the Western world or are outside their native 
or indigenous country. And it says that we are one. And that's why I, I really prefer or like the saying black British. I think the black makes it clear that I'm clearly not fully British. And it also is a substitute for or can replace African or Ghanaian because they're all embedded in the black. Mm, that really resonates because um, that's certainly something that I have spent most of my life, my earlier life, um, thinking about. And it's funny Same that you here. say that because as you say that, I remember I remember having a conversation with my mum being about 15 years old and her saying, well, you're British. And I was like, no, 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 no. No, I'm not that. You know, I said, but my history is elsewhere. It's in Ghana. It's it's not here. Um, and so the, this idea of you claiming that I can, and you said it was controversial as well. Can you tell me why you think it's controversial or why it has been controversial to others? Yeah, I, I mean, it's not controversial as much as, you know, I said I claim it in defiance. And what I mean by mm. that is, I'll give you an example. Um, the Afro-Brazilian politician, Marielle Franco, who was assassinated in 2018, is someone who means a lot to me. I didn't actually know anything about her until her assassination. But we actually have a walkway in the library that's called Marielle Franco Way. We have two. One of, the other one is called Walter Rodney Way. But, you know, when I was thinking about Marielle when she died, and people were saying, oh, you know, Afro-Brazilians, obviously they're African, and, you know, all these people should come back to Africa or come back to, from where they're not wanted, as our Minister of Tourism recently said about African-Americans, if you're not wanted in America, then you should come to Ghana. And I think to myself, I agree in a sense, but what a kind of, maybe disrespect is too strong a word, but what a disrespect to the legacy of all the ancestors who worked and toiled and struggled in the United States, in Brazil, in the United Kingdom, to just turn around and say, okay, well, I'm going now, and that's it. So when I say I claim it in defiance, what I mean is my parents have been in the UK since the 60s. And for me to say I'm not British would be to turn my back on all the blood, sweat, and tears and the toil that they have made and contributed to that country. So I claim it in defiance. You know, all those people who say there is no such thing as black and British, well, here I am and here we are. And, you know, we stand here as a legacy to our parents. Mm, sorry, I just got goosebumps as you said that. Um, <laughs> so then within that, you being a black Brit, so someone of, of the diaspora, then returning home to where your parents come from, essentially. Yeah. What was that transition like for you? I mean, it, it was difficult. I can't lie about it. You know, obviously lots of people, they kind of look at what I've done and look at the page and think it's all been rosy and happy. And it definitely has been a struggle. I think the biggest struggle was adjusting to small cultural things. And when I say cultural, I don't mean in terms of the culture. I just mean in terms of, like, for example, in London, I can just pick up and go anywhere I want, jump on a bus or a train and, you know, go wherever. And what I found is that in a craft, you can really only ever do one thing maximum in one day, such as the kind of pace of life and such are the roads and such is just such as Ghana <laughs> in effect. And so I think the loss of independence for me was a struggle in the beginning because you do have to rely on people to take you places and you have to go by car everywhere and it takes you three times as long because of the roads. So that was definitely the hardest part. And then also as somebody who is working in the kind of book industry and literacy, it's been difficult seeing how many people struggle with literacy in this country. I think the official statistic in terms of the literacy rate in Ghana is 72 or 73%. But, you know, from what I've seen and from what I've found, that's definitely not the case. 
especially when you go outside of Accra and you go into the rural areas, illiteracy is a big problem. And so, you know, trying to come to terms with that and coming to terms with your own privilege, actually, is quite a difficult thing. people responded to you i mean i don't know if all of your family but part of your family are from kumasi so do you speak tree or you're in you're in accra so do you speak ga or any of the other no, languages no i under, i can understand tree i can get by with it um but we weren't taught mm. it at home growing up at all so for example my brother mm. who is four years older than me he can understand nothing it's only because i've been here for you know, three and a half years now. <laughs> but yeah, I can get by. I can get yeah, by. Yeah, no, I mean, you are certainly not alone. I mean, th that's a whole other conversation. I know for a fact. So I remember going to Ghana and kind of like getting by on my also pretty rudimentary tree. <laughs> and <laughs> people just looking at me like, what? And I'm like, yeah, no, sorry. I'm, I'm not from here. I, I, I want to be, but you that's know. That's definitely one of the things that I felt the most, especially working in rural communities and working with market women, that I almost felt a shame and feel a shame for not speaking one of the local languages here, especially when you're working with, um, like I'm saying, the market women and people in rural communities for whom English is not their first language or that they're not familiar with. Because, you know, why should I come and be speaking English and be like, you know, <laughs> speak to me, speak to me when I should be able to speak, you know, at least one of their languages. So, you know, that's another thing that I've had to confront and that kind of it falls in with the privilege. But you're still there, which is a wonderful thing. So um, back to LOTAD, let's talk about, it's been through a few changes and, and I know that you have a few initiatives. Yeah. I'd really love to talk about that too, so people can get a sense of the work that you do there. Yeah, so LOTAD itself, which is our flagship library, um, it's a subscription library that people pay to be a member of. But we have three free community and school libraries outside of Accra. And the first one is in Ashaiman, which is in Greater Accra, which is a very hyper-urban, underprivileged uh, area. And it's in a school called Gemstar School that was founded by a woman called Auntie Grace, who is a teacher. And we've had that library now for about two years. And we used to go there every other Saturday to do creative writing and creative play with the children there. And that's honestly, it's been the most rewarding thing that I've done in these last three years has been this outreach work and especially the outreach work that we've done with Gemstar School. We also have another library in uh, Kumawu in the Ashanti region. Um, and we have another one that's still in development that's in Ensutem, which is in the Eastern region. And you know, what I've learned from having done these libraries is, you know, I get lots of messages from people who say, I'd like to start a library, I'd like to start a library. And you cannot really start a library if you don't back it up with a community literacy program. Because as I said before, there are so many people who can't read at all, or they can read only very basic. And so if you go and you, you know, dump a library there and dump a whole load of books there, you might as well just be burning them, honestly, because nobody is going to read them if they don't know how to. And so that's kind of mainly been the outreach work that we've been doing over the last uh, two and a half, three years. There was also another program that we used to do, which was called Market Akinkang, which means market reading in tree. And we used to go to um, a market in uh, Dome in Accra, not far from where the library is. 
and we would do uh, reading and creative play with the children of market women there. And again, you know, that's the most rewarding things that we do. Definitely. What I'm hearing is that you have this library, this diasporic library, where mainly middle class or wealthier people that that may go predominantly. But also in terms of your outreach, it sounds like the books over there would be different, right? Kids books. Or... I mean, it's different in the sense that they're children's books, 100 um, percent. But it's not different in the sense that we do try to stock those libraries with books by people of African descent. Because, you know, one thing that I learned very early on was, as a black British person growing up in London in the 80s, there were not that many black British writers around. And so I would read a lot of books by African-American writers. And I could relate because it's not that much difference between, I don't know, you know, Tottenham or Brixton or Peckham and somewhere in LA or wherever the writer is writing about. But you bring those same books to Ghana here and there is a huge difference between you know, a child in a rural community or even a city in Ghana not being able to relate to a book by, you know, a black British person set in Brixton or an African-American person set in Watts in LA. They, you know, it's very difficult to understand. So we try as much as possible to get culturally relevant books for those uh, libraries as well. Which I would imagine is different. I remember when I was, um, I have been uh, an advocate and continue to be um, an advocate for children's books that put black children, uh, children of colour in the centre of their books. And what I have found, and I'm sure you have too, is just the difficulty in finding these books that are culturally relevant. I remember talking to my dad and be like, hey dad, can you find some some kids books in Ghana that I can read to the kids? I have, I have two young kids. And yeah. he tried. And the books he had were essentially oldie, timey textbooks for kids to learn how to speak and read English. And I mean, bless him, he really was trying because he was excited <laughs> about it too. And I was just like, okay, thanks. But I was like, that's not what I'm looking for. So for anyone who's listening, there's a market there. Can you please provide some, some more yeah. culturally um, relevant books? But I, that does certainly raise a lot of challenges, but also answers a lot of questions about the centering of cultures and centering of people um, in children's books and in books in general. yourself are a writer is that correct you know I don't like to call myself a writer oh, no, because I can't remember the last time I sat down to write anything of any kind of significance um but last year I did a piece for lit hub and it was an essay and it was about the library and in it I said something like I well I kind of compared myself to the um British Caribbean writer and activist John LaRose um and I was saying that I've kind of had to come to terms with the fact that maybe my destiny isn't to be a writer, but maybe my destiny is to help realize the next great writer through the library. I don't know. But clearly you have a love of words and you have a love of books and you have inspired me and other people. So to that end, because sadly I have to wrap up this conversation, what I would love to know is as you do this work, right, a lot of people who are children of African and Caribbean immigrants often have this conversation about wanting to help. How could we who don't live in Ghana, but are looking for ways to contribute, how could we help or support you in the work that you do? Yes, thanks a lot for asking that question. I mean, I definitely don't think that everybody should move back to Ghana or move to Africa at all. I think there are ways to help um, from afar. 
And that could be in terms of donating books or donating money, more importantly, because <laughs> obviously, you know, we have to uh, live and work out here and it, it's tough. Doing a library, it's definitely not a money spinner, but it's essential work. But also, I would say that you don't have to do anything big in terms of money to be able to make a big impact, for sure. I'll give you an example, like the library that we have in Ashaiman. When I went to the school and I was going around with the founder, Auntie Grace, and she was showing me the, the different rooms that they have. And I said, do you have a room that could be turned into a library? And she showed me this space that was uh, relatively small and it was being used as a common room at the time. And there were no windows in this room in terms of there were no glass windows. There were just the holes cut out for the window. There were no doors and it still needed to be painted and plastered. So I said, you know, how much would it cost? to do the windows, the doors, to paint it, to plaster it, to do shelves. And honestly, the cost was minimal. I mean, to me, it was like a minimal cost that I said, you know, go ahead and do it. And it's those kind of things that we in the diaspora can do. Now, I know it's not easy necessarily to find somewhere to do those kind of things, but you could always reach out to people like myself or other people who are already on the ground and say, you know, I would like to do something in this area. Could you give me some advice? I think that's what I would suggest. Wonderful. My final question, you know, we are in this time where we are dealing with COVID. We're dealing with several pandemics. There is the health one, COVID, and, you know, we're dealing with uh, issues of racial injustice. The racial injustice is not new, obviously, but it feels like since the death of George Floyd, the rest of the world has kind of caught up, um, so to speak. In this moment, like from your vantage point, how do you see things playing out? Because from where I am, there are a lot of conversations about, well, what can we do? This is terrible. You know, the usual, right? It feels kind of sort of different or it did, but I knew that things would settle in. So I mean, I'm curious to find out what, what the conversations are like in Ghana and, and from your vantage point, having all of these people from the diaspora and beyond coming through and probably talking to you about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say definitely from a diasporan perspective, this is something that we all feel, you know, and uh, I would say, like I've made this point before about when I moved to Ghana, I really did think that, you know, I'm turning my back on race and racism. That doesn't affect me anymore. I now live in a black country and I'm no longer minoritized. However, you know, you can move wherever you want to move and at the end of the day, you will still be black British or African American or whatever it is, you know, you are. And so those things will affect you. And I think that's what I've seen from the people that I meet at the library who are, as you said, they're kind of expats and diasporans and we all feel it. And it's no different living here. You know, it affects us as if, you know, just as much as if we were still living in the UK or in America. Um, from a Ghanaian perspective, you know, I think Ghanaians are quite shocked. You know, a lot of Ghanaians are still quite shocked because obviously America, with its cultural imperialism, has sold itself as the land of the free and the home of the brave. And there are some people who still believe that. And, you know, you can't really blame them because I think culture on an international level is dominated by American culture in Ghana here. And so I think people are always quite shocked when they see that racism is just an everyday fact of life for a lot of us who are in the diaspora and you know that's going to take some coming to terms with for a lot of people and they're still coming to terms with it yeah i'm sure sylvia arthur thank you so much for your time i really really appreciate this this was a lovely conversation i really enjoyed it thank you for joining me on deciphered thank you too
Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Sylvia Arthur, the founder of the Library of Africa and the African Diaspora. Follow the library on Twitter and on Instagram at L-O-A-T-A-D underscore org. If you're in Accra and you want to check out the library or participate in any of its events, visit the website. It's www.loatad.org. And don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen and tell your friends to do the same. Then sign up for our newsletter. It's called The Cypher to get more Afro-British perspectives on global art, culture and movements. Just follow the link on our show page or on social media. We are at Twitter at CypherMag. And on Instagram, we're at The Cypher Newsletter. Deciphered was edited by Tess Goodwin. I'm Christabel Nsiabwadi and thank you so much for joining me. Speak to you next time. Deciphered is a My Lens Media production. Mm-hmm.